Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today it is the morning of Wednesday, the 27th of October in Seoul, and the evening of Tuesday, the 26th of October in the United States, where I'm joined via Zoom by North Korean defector Yeonmi Park. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to please leave a review about this podcast wherever you can. You might be wondering why I always ask you to do this. It's so that people can discover our podcast more easily. No reviews means that the all-powerful algorithm pushes us down the internet podcast rabbit hole into the abyss of ignorance, and no new people will ever listen to us. So please do leave a review. And while you're at it, please share this podcast with everyone you know, and also three people you don't. Secondly, check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription. Thirdly, have you ever wanted a North Korean leadership wall chart to help you understand who's who in the DPRK's opaque government structure? Now you can get your hands on that and more at www.nknews.org shop. And if you have any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, you can always send them to us by email at podcast at nknews.org. All right, so to introduce today's guest properly, Yeonmi Park was born in 1993 in Hesan, North Korea, and escaped that country with her mother in 2007, first to China and then to South Korea. She now lives in the United States. In 2015, she published a book called In Order to Live and runs a successful YouTube channel today named Voice of North Korea by Yeonmi Park with over 750,000 subscribers. Thank you for joining me, Yonmi Park. Thank you so much for having me, finally. <laughs> yes, it has taken quite a long time to, to work this out. Thank you for your patience. Oh, of course, I'm very honored. Now, you are not yet 30 years old, but you have lived in four countries. You've had several escapes from North Korea and from human traffickers in China. Uh, you've attended two universities. You've been married and divorced. You've become a mother. You've had so many experiences, good and bad. And your book came out when you were only, what, 22 years old. Does it feel like you've already lived multiple lives? Yeah, I, I at least feel like a thousand years old. <laughs> a thousand minimum, years old, Minimum, yes. yeah. I have a senior all. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you've got so many years ahead of you. It, it makes you wonder sometimes how much more you can do in a lifetime, doesn't it? Or if I don't get cared, I guess, um, I, I guess so. And, but you know, is when that you, something you worry about getting killed? Yeah, I think uh, when I was really speaking out around 2014, that's when I was reached by South Korean intelligence. And yes. they told me that I had to let them know wherever I literally go because there is a real threat against my life from North Korean regime. And yes. it was it was when I was younger, it was a lot scarier than now. And but I mean, you know, like uh, when Saudi uh, prince went after Jamal Khashoggi, right? Then when he got killed in Saudi uh, embassy in Turkey, that his yes. his literally crime was having a lot of followers on social media. Mm. And because Saudi regime didn't want him to speak against about the regime. And I'm kind of the first North Korean ever broke this many followers in the in the free world. Mm -hmm. So I think I don't know what kind of the retaliation gonna come from North Korean regime. It's kind of a mystery to me too. Like nobody have gone this path. 
So right. I just have to wait and see what they're going to do or they're going to really like leave me alone. So let's talk about your life uh, in North Korea first. Mm -hmm. uh, you lived in North Korea until you were about 13 and a half, yeah. by my mathematics. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when you were there, of course, you were still quite young, but did you have to take part in political life in North Korea before you escaped? I mean, the political life is that every North Korean child, when they're born, right, they have to go to school. I mean, like, I mean, school and there we have to be in part of this thing called the Young Pioneers. Mm -hmm. And that begins around third grade. I don't know how the system is system works, but yeah. in third year of your elementary school, that's when you join the Young Pioneers. And then you join the, I, I know in North Korean, but another program. And so everybody in North Korea have to be part of some kind of group. Yes. Because they don't want you to be individual. So they, so I think it, Anybody, I don't know how I was part of the political group, but I was a part of a, some group in school. And did you have to um, write about your mistakes in the red book called the Senghwal Chonghwa and do self-criticism and mutual criticism? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's what I mean. I was saying when you join the third like year and you have to do the self-criticism sessions, and that's not only just you're criticizing your crime or. Uh, but then you also have to criticize your comrade in the classroom, right? Mm. And I think that was a, now I'm thinking about it, that is like the beginning of the root and regime makes sure that nobody trusts each other. And so always like we have to look out for each other who's doing what. And you, you know that you're always risking your life because somebody might report on you too. So that's how we don't, we are not able to tell our girlfriends what we are going through. You know, in America, like the friends, like especially for girls, they are the best friends. You talk to them everything that you cannot even talk to your parents about. Mm -hmm. But in North Korea, you can never develop that kind of friendship because you just don't know who's spying and who's going to report on you. Was it not possible with your friends to, uh, to organize, you know, this week I will criticize you about this and you can criticize me about that and the next week we'll do something else sometimes i think we did that but it wasn't like um we did not like really share what was at our hearts mm -hmm. we, we really never shared what we were really thinking with anybody so i think maybe maximum you would share is like with our parents but even they were like i remember one day my father was watching tv and there was a Kim Jong-il came and he was for some reason very upset about him. And yeah. then my mom would like stop him. Don't say such things in front of kids, right? Mm. So even my father could never have told me what he was at heart, he, what he was actually true beliefs were. Yes. So it's kind of ironic that the, the group life in North Korea, whether it's in a, a school group or the Inminban or the Young Pioneers or a work group, Actually, mm -hmm. the effect of that group life is to make everybody very lonely. Yeah, it's a really, it's, it, that's a really funny thing, right? It's all collectivization. We do as a community, we work together, we share together, but in a way, almost like they are putting this group and monitoring each other, spying on each mm. other. And that's why, you know, it's, it's more isolated in, in a way that more than in America, at least you can go to therapies and talk about your problems. Mm -hmm. But in, in North Korea, you have nobody literally go and talk about, you know, your actual true like thinking. Yes. And of course, there are slogans uh, everywhere about uh, 
you know, one mind, right? The uh, yeah. one-minded unity, the Ilshim uh, mm -hmm. Tangyal. Right. Uh, but but everybody is is very much in their own mind. Do you, I know you were very young when you escaped? But do, do adults do they realize that contradiction? Like, did your mother think about actually I was very lonely, even though we talked about being together all the time? But the thing is, like, right? It's I remember when I'm in South Korea, I learned this word for the first time is stress. And I asked them, what is stress? And they're like, oh, something. They really couldn't ex exactly explain to me what stress is. Mm. It's a stress. And like in North Korea, I don't know, for some reason, we don't have a word for depression. We don't have a word for stress. There are a lot of words that we don't have in, in North Korea. So even like the word like uh, loneliness is something really talked about in the free country. But in North Korea, really nobody talks about feelings as much. Mm -hmm. And this was something I'm trying to overcome being in America in free world too. In a way that Americans were almost like obsessed with how you feel, like the feelings mm -hmm. of individual. But in North Korea, it's a completely opposite. Nobody talks about how you feel. And because it doesn't really matter. Who cares how you feel, right? Mm -hmm. You, you were born and partly grew up in Hesan, except yeah. for two years that you spent uh, in Kowon. Mm -hmm. uh, and the conditions that you described in Hesan in your book and in your videos uh, were, you know, uh, quite shocking. Mm -hmm. uh, in the mid 1990s, North Korea experienced a famine called the, the arduous march inside yeah. North Korea. Uh, many people starved to death, sometimes in public, uh, or died of illness or were executed for stealing to survive. Now, you were born in 1993, which is approximately the time when the famine started. And mm -hmm. usually when I read about or hear about the North Korean famine, the arduous mm -hmm. march, they say that it had ended by around 1998. But, mm -hmm. the, but you talk about starvation and death being commonplace in Hesan, even mm -hmm. in the mid-2000s. Uh, mid uh, have I misunderstood or are you saying that the a widespread famine continued in Hesan even after it had ended in other parts of North Korea. So I guess it's a thing. I mean, that's officially is from 1995 to 1998 is official arduous march. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually talking to North Koreans, even at the end of 70s, there were people dying from like hunger, right? But not as the gravity, not as much the big scale that happened in the 90s, right? Mm. Even after Soviet Union collapsed in even late 80s, that's when already like people were suffering. And uh, so it's it's not like uh, 1995 before then nobody died and 1998 nobody died from starvation. And the cause that drove me to escape from North Korea was actually starvation too. Mm -hmm, yeah. I really don't know when that mass death stopped, but I do remember as a child, I go to like a train stations because my father was a trader. He had to go to Pyongyang to buy these matters and send it to Hesan. Then these smugglers would buy it from him and then send it to Chinese. So he had to send me to train station, like because in North Korea we don't have internet. You cannot check yeah. the train time. And trains like really always like Mizong, it's like we don't know when it's coming, right? Mm -hmm. So I would have my father would send me or my sister go to train station, check the like train time. And I would go and you see that where this collector is like waiting rooms. And yep. there's so many people sleeping there and then a lot died. And in the mornings, this they 
bring this groomer, the carriage coming, and then they put the bodies on top of it and take it away. But not only that, like even in 2007, right about when I was escaping from North Korea, mm. it wasn't like dead bodies everywhere on the street, but it was not uncommon to see dead bodies of North Koreans floating in the uplope, the Yellow River around. Yes, you, you, you told Joe Rogan that it was uh, as normal as breathing air, that you, you yeah. saw dead bodies quite frequently. Really? I mean, I, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's harder to count the days that I didn't see people not dead but like it's not like all that i mean i'm I'm sure when i was younger it was way more quantity but Mm -hmm. especially so when i was right before my uh, escape i was in this hospital in hesan and my you know my hospital to the bathroom in between there were like piles of dead bodies and like my mom literally asking the nurse like why would you not take those bodies away Mm-hmm. And that was like end of March. And she said, we don't have a gas to drive the car to take them away. We only have to collect seven bodies. Then we take those bodies away. But it's end of March, starting melting. And you see the children eating human eyes. And you, I mean, for us as North Korean people, it's so common thing. We don't think that's something unusual to see people dead on the streets. Mm. And so I don't know that mass number of death when it exactly stopped. But even to this day, I talk North Koreans. Uh, I have uh, people, brokers under there. There are still people dying from starvation. So North uh-huh. Korea's famine actually have never stopped. Mm-hmm. It began end of seven. I talked to my mom and mom says, yeah, 60s, the rations, public rations came to me, but it wasn't like enough for me to be thriving on it, right? Yeah. It was like, yeah, two meals a day we could eat, but it was not enough nutrition and uh, you know, protein like that. And people really started starving. And he, mom, I asked my mom, when did you start hearing about people dying from starvation? It was like end of 70s, as early as that. Mm. Do, do you think, was Hesan in a difficult location? Like, was it suffering more than the rest of North Korea? I know that it's just mm. across the river from uh, from a Chinese city, but uh, was Hesan you know, was the rest of the country suffering in the same way or was Hesan special? I think Hesan is actually a very privileged city. Actually, after Pyongyang, you know, mm-hmm. all these uh, border cities became a special zone for mm-hmm. North Korean regime because of the access to China, right? The yeah. outside world is only through these border towns. So now, actually, normal North Koreans, they need to get a permit to border these towns. It's a lot harder than getting a permit to going into Pyongyang. Mm. If you talk to the current North Korean brokers who are there, yeah. it's impossible to bring North Koreans in inner North Korea to border town these days. So even my time, it's already there were a lot of smugglers in his hand. And I actually saw more suffering and more poverty when I went to Gowon. Mm. that's literally where people didn't have even clock at home right you literally wake up you do roosters you know crying then that's you know when that's morning begins and oh, like, they, they had no clocks to tell yeah, the they time no no that was uh. my aunt would send me often to go there was like one like you know study big room where there's like the kim studies and those buildings in the town and they would have a one big clock so she would go ask me as a child like go check the time what time is it mm. and that was like one of my errands from my aunt 
But like nice. Hezan was at least people had the clocks and we were out of battery sometimes, but a lot of family households had a clock. But yeah. when I went to inner Korea, that's when I realized these people don't even have windows, right? Hey. They yeah. have like plastics and that's the maximum you can afford. Ah. Now, in your book, you talk about uh, seeing a, a very uh, horrible sight in Hesan. You said you mm. you wrote uh, that you saw a, a dead body of a young man lying yeah. beside a pond. Uh, mm. He was naked and something, perhaps dogs, had ripped him open uh, mm. and his insides were coming out. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, more recently on the, the Joe Rogan show, uh, you described him as a uh, naked teenage boy sitting by yeah. a public water well, uh, mm -hmm. and you describe his organs as hanging out because the starvation opened up his body. Now, mm -hmm. in this case, you said the boy was still alive and begging, so mm -hmm. I'm a little bit confused. I know it must be a horrible memory to relive, but was he actually dead or alive when you saw him? So this is definitely has happened because I was with my sister. And actually, mm. when I writing my book, uh, I'm sure you know how many North Koreans have gone through with accusations of a uh, mismemory or uh, sensationalizing story, right? So mm -hmm. when I was uh, writing my book, that was right after the blob of Shin Dong-hyuk, who mm. was escaped from Camp 14, right? Yep. So I was very grateful for him to really show us all how much it matters to be factual, like really factual. I mean, we all know that he was a survivor of a concentration camp. And we know that he is coming from an oppressed country. He was tortured but mm -hmm. because he got whatever the reason, some uh, details were mixed up and that got him that much trouble and it really taught me a lesson mm. so actually i had a co-author as you can see in the book cover is marian volers when i was writing this book i took her to south korea with me several times and then she had a verbal like recordings from my childhood friend who i grew up together in Hesan. and she interviewed my mom and my sister and myself separately mm -hmm. and if none of us remember the something that we put in the book together at the same time we would not put in the book we would not there are many more things we want to put in the book but my sister remembered it differently my mom remembered it differently i did not like to remember differently right mm, yeah so only things that we three of us agreed we put in there in the book yeah and i was a lot younger than myself I was three years younger than her and she and i was going up through this war and like this young man, I mean, young boy, I don't know, maximum it's gotta be teenager. Mm -hmm. And he, I, I, for my memory, I remember even seeing the flies around by because it wasn't cold in Hesan at that time. There was no ice because in the winter we get all like covered by with ice and snow. Yeah. I don't remember seeing any ice. It was summertime. So that's, I remember seeing flies and he was, he was like alive, but a lot of children, I remember, like even street kids, like Godzebis in the Zangmadang, even when until they die, they beg for food. Mm. They say, like, in the this little, little, tiny, little voice, it comes out, like, please give me, like, like give mm -hmm. me food, right? Yeah. And I didn't feel anything at the time. I just, I seen so many people dying and begging for food. It, I never even knew what compassion was at the time. Mm. And that's why that was the definitely thing. My sister exactly remembered the same. And that that story actually got into the book with the help of my family. And of course, Penguin Legal Team has all the recordings from other defectors. Mm -hmm. So in case they misremember later and say, I 
you know, wrote a wrong story, we could show them this is why you said at this time, because people's memory can evolve even, it can change. Mm. So we did all of that work while we were writing this book, thanks to Shin Dong-yeok, of course. <laughs> now, what about um, public executions of people who the North Korean government said were criminals? Uh, was that going on in Haesan when you were still there? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's uh, public executions were were very common. And what really surprised me when I came, went to South Korea, the word misongyeonja, like the underage. Mm-hmm. Like in North Korea, there's no such a concept of like a child labor or mis, mis, underage. Yeah. That if the public execution happens, they take, they ask even elementary school kids to come. And mm. because we are the shortest, they make us to sit in the in front. They sit us through our height level. Ah. So did you actually go and see one? I have seen one. I have seen many public trials too. And of course, my mom had to see many of them. Actually, one of my, our neighbor right next to us, he lost his leg while he was on the way to go see public execution because his car tripped. And yeah, it's a, it's a very common practice for North Koreans. It's like a it's not like your option. They enforce you to come. The Iminbanjang, the people's unit person comes, mm-hmm. give you announcement, or like school teachers give you announcement. On this day, we all go see public, like uh, it was almost like a tradition for North Koreans. And what kind of crimes were people executed for? So a uh, few things, right? One of the execution that really stuck with my mom was this young man, he had a TB, it's a very common disease for North Koreans. Uh, tuberculosis, yes. Yeah, tuberculosis. So he had a tuberculosis and he was somehow like very poor in the collective farm, like Hyopdongjoab in the countryside. Mm-hmm. And uh, he stole a cow from the Hyopdongjoab, the collective farm, and yeah. then killed it and ate it. And they would literally execute him for that because, you know, that in North Korea, cows have more rights than human beings. Because uh, cows, because in North Korea, you cannot have a private property, right? Lands are governments, cars are governments, even cows are government's asset. Yeah. And he stole the government asset and killed it. That's why he got executed for that. And other uh, public executions are like, if you ever read the Bible, mm. if you ever practice Christianity, or if you uh, uh, distributed uh foreign like uh, Hollywood movies or South Korean movies or if you watch the porn they really go after watching people porn Mm. somehow they're okay a lot of times doing drugs in North Korea but they somehow really go after pornography very hard Mm -hmm. so this kind of crimes like we are literally talking about this is what gets you executed in North Korea and the, the execution that you saw do you remember what the person was being killed for it was, uh, in my memory, I asked my mom too later, it was a, uh, they, she wasn't only just watching the uh, Hollywood movies, but her crime was actually distributing it, was lending it to her friends and giving it to other people. Uh, so, and that was videotapes, I guess, or DVDs? It was no my time. They didn't have a USB thumb drives, flash yeah. drives. My time was only the DVDs and DVD. the what was a big, thick cassette thing. Yeah, videotape. Yeah, those or things. VHS. Like, VHS. Yeah, VHS. That's it, yeah. I remember like to a hold, it would not hold a lot of movies. So to have a one movie, you need yep. like three, two of those cassettes. It's hard mm. to hide. 
So when yeah. the DVDs came by, it was like a lot easier to hide for us. Yeah. So mm -hmm. somebody was distributing these video cassettes and, and they were uh, killed yeah. for, for distributing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's even now North Korea actually made another. They have this like Beast Haizui like group. It's called like anti-socialism behaviors. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the spreading foreign information is always a number category for them to punish right now. Even under Kim Jong-un, they would not change that. Now, you said uh, in a number of places that there's no real concept of love or romantic love in North Korea. Can you talk about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing. Like, I mean, we all love. I think that's a very human nature thing. I never doubted that my parents didn't love me, mm. but they never said they loved me because uh, it wasn't the word that we ever used as a culture. And mm -hmm. there were times, though, the love, like... Uh, like like the beloved our dear leader like that yes. we could use in the books we can definitely find but in general romance is not something romanticized in North Korea in a way that right. like you know you I never knew the even word proposal <laughs> it was mm -hmm. funny when I came to America all my friends like oh I got proposed like he gave me the ring mm. and like what is a proposal right right and there's no word for romance even and of course no lovers saying each other I love you my mm -hmm. mom never told me I love you it took my sister seven years to tell my mom she loves my mom after she came to South Korea mm -hmm. it's a very awkward word for North Korean defectors to learn when they go to South Korea and now, but I, mm -hmm. I have to say that I've lived in South Korea for a long time. And if you in mm. South Korea, if you talk to older people, probably of your parents' generation, it's even mm. not that common in South Korea for people to say, you know, Sarangandha, I love you, oh. to even to a close family member, uh, from parents mm. to children, children to parents, or even, believe it or not, between husbands and wives. And I, I wonder if that's because mm. Western romantic concepts of love and the importance of expressing love mm. verbally, like you said, in America, there's such a focus on feelings. And I wonder yeah. if that's something that's only arrived quite recently in South Korea. It could be totally that. And also the thing is, like you, what you said, right, that romanticizing this like a men and women, this kind of love is really Western idea, like Shakespeare, Julia, right. and Romeo and Juliet. Like in North Korea, they never, I never knew what Romeo and Juliet was, yeah. right? It could be very Western thing, but I mean, North Korea, their tradition hasn't evolved like unlike South Korea. Mm. Right, South Korea has evolved, their language evolved, people got evolved, the culture got evolved, even food got evolved in the South, like there was a lot of cuisines in South Korea, but like North Korea, maybe if that's the case, then they are stuck in the time of like 1950s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Also about other words, uh, you said to, uh, to Dennis Prager that you didn't know mm. the word friend in North Korea uh, or escape. No. Uh, of course, I think you don't literally mean that you didn't know those words, right? Because there are words like pot uh, and, and dongmu and, and chingu in North Korea. But how did you see that? So chingu is a South Korean word. Mm -hmm. Okay. In North Korea is a dongmu or dongji. So when you are really, really young, you call like dongmu, nai dongmu, like my, my, my like comradeship. Mm -hmm. But like uh, when you are be like adult, like maybe like 14, even 50 years old, 15 years old, you started calling your like seniors like uh, like Dongji, Dongji. Dongji yeah. is definitely not Chingu. Mm. Chingu, do you know in now right now, Kim Jong going after 
uh, North Korea's youth who is speaking North South Korean yes. in North Korea. Those words are one of them is chingu, one of them is oppa. Uh huh. <laughs> what, what about so, the word bot? Did they use that one in North Korea? Bot is really, I think, more like my grandpa generation. They used it. Ah. I think it's like an I bot, like you know Kim Il Sung would say, like you know Cheong. I mean, like other like Kim Tak. These people, he yeah. was not my bot. Yeah. So it was. I don't even know exact meaning of but, but it was more like uh, my companion, my something beyond, just like my hanging out friends type of thing. Like somebody who is going this journey with me. Mm. And Kim Il Sung would say to this, like, uh, you know, hanging parties like those heroes. And he said he was my butt. And like, it's so sad to lose him. But it's not like normal people with the butt to each other. I see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, recently, I interviewed. Um, an American academic, Korean American academic, Emmanuel mm. Kim, who translated the book uh, uh, by, uh, I think it's Peng Nam Yong is the uh, author. He's a North Korean author. Uh, and he wrote a novel called But uh, Into English, oh. which is a, the English title is, is simply Friend. Really? Ever... I would love to look into that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I will, uh, I'll mm -hmm. send you the details uh, in an email afterwards. Amazing. Yeah. Now, your father, uh, earlier in life, he was a, a Korean Workers' Party member before he was arrested, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and, he was a party member. And when he was trading in precious metals uh, before mm. he went to prison, would you say that your family was relatively wealthy by North Korean standards? Absolutely. I mean, the fact that we didn't die from starvation in the 90s, mm -hmm. we were very privileged people, right? I mean, that time... Uh, most of the starvation, some people died in Pyongyang too, actually, we cannot deny that. Some yeah. people did die, even though the regime gave out a lot of public ration to the only exclusively to Pyongyang residents. Mm -hmm. But uh, most of the death though happened in the northern parts, right? right? A lot of the flood, a lot of the dry droughts. And, and I mean, literally, like, I mean, North Korean regime says like their population is like 25 million people, but actually mm -hmm. there's no way of us really knowing it. And more mm. likely it's like 20 million people. They didn't really, a lot of people died and died early, right? Yes. So even let's say it was like back then in the 90s, like it's 19, 20 million people, at least like 3 million people approximately, you can say one to 3 million people died. That's a lot of people die from starvation. So uh, my when before my father, but the thing is, I asked my mom this too because you know, as a, when you're young, you don't really know exactly what happened. Mm. But my father was initially trading dried fish, like this thing called a ganari or like clocks, you know, anything. Mm -hmm. But those things really don't make a lot of money. He would even like sell the cigarettes, you know, and uh, when he touched the matters, like that's what my mom told him, like you know, when you touch those like. Metal is a dong, is a copper. Mm -hmm. You start with zero, but you end with zero. It's almost like gambling because you oh. know, the regime gonna crack you down. So my mom told my dad that when you started touching this metal, like metal, yeah. you're gonna start with zero, but you're gonna end up with zero. That's what exactly happened. Until when I was uh, five or six, even then, he yeah. did not do that. He did normal trading. And because that he could not make any money because of the corruption, so much bribe that he had to give, yeah. he he touched the metal. And that's when we had like a lot of uh, 
really bad. We were able to eat pork. We were able to eat dumplings. You know, right. he was able to take me to Pyongyang. But that was really not that many of years, like only three, four years maximum mm-hmm. of time he did the war. And then, of course, he got arrested and then he lost everything. Right. And then it, mm-hmm. and then it would all went wrong. And of course, you've got the details in your book there, but I'm going to skip mm-hmm. over this a little bit because I want to get to uh, mm-hmm. so March 2007. Uh, yeah. uh, your sister, your older sister, Unmi, had already escaped North Korea into mm-hmm. China. And so in March 2007, you and your mother, mm-hmm. I, I forget this, either. did you uh, pay money to the broker or did you simply, did she simply get you into North Korea, into China, and then maybe she received money from the Chinese brokers. I, I forget that part, but somehow you ended up in China. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so exactly. My, my sister, uh, we might we were trying to escape, but I got suddenly sick. So I know you like I got appendicitis. They yes. had to remove it. I was in the hospital. I got out, and then my sister left me this little note and go find this lady, and she will help you to go to China. And when I got the note and then found that lady and she told me, oh, like you can go to China. If you go to China, you're going to see meet your sister. Mm-hmm. And we did not have money to buy. We were like literally on the verge of starvation. Mm. And she said, if you want to go, you can go today. And then she also said, your mom can come too. And that's when I told my mom, like, come with me. And until that day, she did not plan to ever escape North Korea because we didn't even think mom age could go we somehow thought if we go to china because we are so young like i was 13 we would be somehow adopted or something Mm -hmm. and this lady just was very nice and we didn't even question why she was being nice to us or Mm. helping us to escape but of course she was a human trafficker she got paid when she sold us Ah, okay so she got paid by Mm -hmm. the, the people on the chinese side all yeah. right. So you you spent uh, just a little bit over two years in China from late March yeah. 2007 to early March mm-hmm. 2009. Uh, mm-hmm. You went through some horrible experiences there, including, uh, and I'm sorry to bring this up, but including uh, seeing your mother uh, suffer rape, uh, being sold mm-hmm. and resold, having to live with a man who had raped you as a 13-year-old, being kidnapped and escaping, and then engaging in trafficking of other North Korean girls. Uh, of course, for listeners who want to know more, I'd say read the book. Uh, you know, There's a big section there on, on your time in China. Uh, but what's mm-hmm. amazing uh, is that through all this, somehow you and your mother were able to uh, stay in contact with each other and also keep the photograph safe that you had brought from North Korea. That, that is quite mm. extraordinary. How did you manage to do that? Yeah, so this is a... I haven't talked about so when we were in China, uh, of course, I was being sold and trafficked. And then last stage of my time in China was when I got this call from a defector friend. She said, you can come and work here in this room. And which was like body cam girls, you know, you right, show your body. Right, sort of webcam chatting yeah. with South Korean men. Right, right. That's And then I was thinking, well, that's much better than being raped by a man in the actual world, right? Mm-hmm. You, all, you have these showing bodies. Yeah. So when I got that room and then they were like, uh, this, these people were like, do you know more girls? No, who can do this, right? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it's so until, until then and a while after that, I was sending money to my family members who I left behind. 
both on my mom's side, my dad's side. Mm -hmm. You know that most of the factors do that. They or they don't just escape to just have a good life for themselves. Yeah. They usually go to China, be sold, and making money as a prostitute and send the money back to their family members. And while we are sending our money back, uh, one of my aunt to daughter who was same age with me or like a few months older than me, she wanted to come to China too. So when she was coming, we asked her to, can you bring the photos of our family from mm -hmm. it? And so she brought the photos when she came to China. Ah. And then, and then, but that's when we about to go on this in the mission, missionary shelter house and study Bible and go to South Korea. So and, that's near the end of your two-year period yeah. in China. Yeah, and because we didn't want them to get punished, but I think they've been all punished now. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I mean, I didn't want them to be punished that they received money from them. But the thing is, while I was crossing the desert into Mongolia and being in these detention centers, while she was working in this uh, chat room too, and police raided and she got sent back to North Korea. Oh, she got sent. Your your this is your cousin. Yeah, was sent back cousin, to North Korea. Sent back to North Korea. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so I found out when I was in South Korea. But the only reason why I couldn't take her was we are literally going walking in the Gobi Desert. Mm -hmm. And it's a gambling. Like you cannot gamble with somebody else's life. I didn't not even know yeah. anybody survived through Mongolian desert. So I was like, say, we go to South Korea, we are going to make money and then get you the broker, make that money, just wait here for six months. I'm, I'm going to come get you. And of course she got, within a few months, she got like arrested and sent back to North Korea. But mm. back then she still was a child and it was Kim Jong-il time. It wasn't yeah. Kim Jong-un time. So the punishment wasn't as, as great. So mm. she got beaten, but my aunt was able to bribe and she got out. I, I talked to her over the phone through the broker. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's how we got the photos out. Like it wasn't, when we escaped, we didn't even plan that day. And also when you escape, when we were going to even China, right, through Mongolia, we didn't take those photos with us. Mm. Because if you get caught, you cannot show the sign of being a North Korean defector. Right. So we kept that uh, photos with our friends, defector friends in, in China, because ah. they were too afraid to go that journey. They were like, you go first. If you make it, we're going to follow you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had to escape first. And then my mom took the flight, went back to China. We used our screen passport, got the pictures. Uh -huh. That's when she found out they all got arrested. And right. then we did rescue them all. And that's how we were able to interview them in the for the book with yeah. my ghostwriter. Oh, yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you, you wrote, um, as I said, you wrote in your book that you were, um, uh, unfortunately, you were forced to help traffic other young women mm -hmm. uh, and of course yeah. it, it's uh, unbelievable and awful that a, a system that is set up to enslave young women like you also mm -hmm. uses those young women to make new slaves of other young mm -hmm. women uh, but like it wasn't like uh because they could not really use us to pimping girls because we we are gonna get caught by police. Yes. So what would I do is like being a translator. Right. right. Like I could not like it's not like the pimping is like American idea of human trafficking. You cannot like as a North Korean girl go out searching for the girls and join them. Like you cannot do that. These brokers actually have to go to border area, buy the girls and bring them. And then they would tell me, tell her that she needs to be sold and marry this guy. That's the only way she can live in, in China, mm, right? Mm. So that was the 
So it's really different pimping if you think about it. It's not yeah. like the ones that American way or Western way. It's a very different way of, you know, doing a human trafficking in China. You right. actually have to go to border and get these girls. Yeah, I, I understand. Mm -hmm. Did did you mm -hmm. feel bad about being part of that system at the time? No, I mean that's the thing. Like it was, how can I be a part of the system because I was also raped and abused, mm -hmm. and in a way, like when you are being sold to a guy as a farmer guy, that is usually the most gentle landing that you can have in China as mm. a Russian defector, mm. because you can actually sort of brother that rapes you 12 times a day, and they give you a drug if you resist and make you become a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And that's how they make you enslave you. And in other words, actually going into organ harvesting, they put you in the underground, mm. and take your organs out. Yeah. And then these girls who are actually sold to the, for the farmers, they are the least suffer the groups actually if you think about it because mm. they only raped by one guy right but all these girls other girls who goes other systems that's how i understood actually what i had was lucky i did not know how how horrible the system was to for north screen defectors to survive in china have you ever met or heard from or had any contact with any of those girls since then absolutely uh we rescued uh, my mom went back we uh we got out a lot of those women actually so even this north skin defector women who i this home who bought her and then sold her to farmer yeah. and then she ran away and then she reached out to me like do you want to come join me working in this uh, chat room mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is the thing we do rely on each other immensely and another woman who also have you know my book she was the one also sold through this trafficker we met her and we met her daughter we became friends and once we made it to South Korea, we called them and then connected to the missionaries. Mm. So they are actually all in South Korea. Yeah. And yeah, they are, they are still my mom. They're great friends and I still see them and I go to South Korea and their daughters are doing great. Do you have any idea what happened to Hongwei after you left? Yeah, uh, he went to prison for 10 years, oh. not for actually doing the human trafficking of North Korean girls. Mm -hmm. He had a previous crime that I don't know certain about, mm -hmm. but he was already fugitive when I had met him. He was running away the, away from the law enforcement. Ah. So he served a 10 years term and he got out last year. And then when he got out, I, I actually initially reached out to his sister mm -hmm. and I sent him money and he that was it that was my last thanking him to saving my family for me oh you and sent him some it. money from south korea no La america oh, from america I, last year yeah oh, last year okay. during the pandemic yeah so oh. he is a what he told me was he was going to repent and raise chickens and lambs in the countryside oh. and never ever gonna do bad things so oh. i hope that he found some redemption Yes. Now, yeah. you um, speaking of redemption, in the book, you talk about how the Christian missionaries in, uh, I think, Qingdao helped you ultimately mm -hmm. to uh, to escape through Mongolia. But it's it's clear in your book that you have uh, ambivalent feelings towards those missionaries uh, who helped you, partly because, mm -hmm. you know, they they made you do a, a public confession of things that you had done in China. H how do you mm -hmm. look back now on the Sort of, there are many different missionaries and different missionary groups who are helping mm. North Koreans. How do you feel about 
about that whole sort of system of uh, missionaries helping North Koreans in, in China? Right. So as you got it right, like when I was writing that book, I was like still 21 years old and I was still very ashamed mm -hmm. what I did to survive, right? Like they told me you're guilty, you're a sinner. And I mean, if I had a choice, I would be born in UK or the USA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would never have chosen North Korea as my birthplace. All these people from North Korea being punished for their birthplace, right? Yeah. Nobody wanted to be born in oppression. And I couldn't understand like, how do you blame me for me going through this, all of this? I didn't want to be raped. I wanted to be a virgin until I got married to my husband, mm. like who choose that path. Mm. And I couldn't believe that they were punishing the victim instead of the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Many years of uh, rethinking about it. And even though as much they were more like fundamental Christians, that they were the most selfless people I've ever met in my lifetime. They literally gone into China. Yeah. There's no recognition for their name. There is nobody applauding for them to saving lives. These people all got punished because they were helping North Korean defectors yeah. eventually. And so these are actually real, real life heroes that I've ever actually met. Mm. And that's how I processed it. Mm. And nobody's perfect, yeah. right? But they were by action. They are the most honorable people I've ever met, and that's why I am. I'm very grateful now. Actually, is it uh, as far as you know? Is, are they still missionary groups today in Northeast China helping North Koreans, or have they all been caught and rounded up or chased out of China? A lot of them, actually, a lot of pastors get stabbed by North Korean agents, like the North Korean Boibu, the state uh, security yeah. agents can operate in China under Chinese protection. Uh -huh. So they would like find these pastors and missionaries and they would like stab them and assassinate them. Sorry, did you say stop but or stab them with a knife? Stab, stab them with knives oh. and assassinate them. And or China would just, like life sentence them if they catch it. I see. But uh, there are still some operating there. Yeah. Wow. Not that many, not like the time when I was there, but like there are still a few of those brave people are still risking their lives and helping these defectors out. Right. Uh, and now we move on to uh, to South Korea. Um, how, mm -hmm. how were you treated by ordinary South Korean people during your time here? Yeah, I mean, this is something I also need to find another way of having a perspective. I mean, frankly, I was pretty bitter about South Korea. And uh, I mean, because... When I got there, I still remember at this Hana one where like we education, no, at actually Gukjong one in the- Right, first, in this I, I should just uh, summarize for our mm -hmm. listeners here, it's more details, of course, in your book, but uh, for all uh, North Koreans who come to South Korea, the first one to six months is spent in the, a kind of forced detention by the uh, mm -hmm. National Intelligence Service. And that is the, mm -hmm. uh, the period of questioning to sort out who is a real North Korean defector, uh, who is a Chinese Korean pretending to be a North Korean defector, and who is a North Korean spy pretending to be a North Korean defector. And so that's the, the first uh, period of time. And then after that period, and that could be one to six months, and then after that, you go to Hanawon, uh, which is that three months now? In my time, it was three months, uh, and then they increased it to six months uh, sometime. And then, because I mean, there's a lot of interest for them to keeping defectors there longer. Yes. <laughs> but so my time is like I was there for Gukjong on the right. interrogation center for two months. Okay. And in this interrogation room, I remember this guy who was interrogating me. And then he was saying, like, 
I was like still 15 years old teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Do you have a tattoo in your body? Right. And I was like, no, I don't have one. Mm-hmm. And like, are you sure? Because that's how detect some of Chinese defect. I mean, North Koreans go to China when they are prostitute, they get a lot of body tattoos. Uh-huh. I don't know why, but that's somehow, that's how they identify them. Yeah. So he said, like, then I'm going to take off your clothes and see. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, you can see. And it's like, I'm going to get a women agent to do it. It's like, yeah, bring her. Like, I- I'm going to show her. I don't have any. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, like, what are you going to do in South Korea? It's not an easy country. There's so much high competition. These kids get educated solely on, they speak English. Like, how are you going to survive in China, mm-hmm. in South Korea? And I told him, like, I want to go to university. And he was like, no, I don't think you were. You were not. And almost giving me impression that I will be a prostitute and I will be always under that dirty word mm-hmm. that I can never somehow have a chance because of my past. And of course, okay, I go to Hanawon. And these teachers, I think, did a great job of painting the competi- competitiveness of South Korean culture. Yes. But they were, they really failed at giving you that encouragement. Like you can be the outlier. Mm-hmm. Like there are miracles can happen, right? Yeah. It is true that we don't have education. We don't even know like the what continents are. Like when North Koreans defect, they don't even know what internet is. Mm. But still, there is a chance to su- be successful. And nobody told me I could be successful in South Korea. They said like I'm forever behind them. Right. And I think because of that experience, I mean, it helped me to read more books yeah. and not interacting with people. <laughs> yeah. I think it was good for me eventually, but I did not, I never felt like I was fully embraced as a human being mm. by anybody in South Korea until I came to America, actually. Wow. Okay. Gosh. Mm. Uh, even when you were uh, famous on the TV shows. Then that's when I, they, then that's when I had to be come out, uh, not on the show, then still like I will get phone calls from my university students. They said like, you know, I told them that I was South Korean initially yeah. because I wanted them not to think of me differently. Right. And they were like, are you a spy? Why were you lying to me? Uh-huh. And I was like, if I were a spy, why would I even talk to you? Yeah. <laughs> you are nobody. Right. And it was just very hurtful because I was this teenager mm. and I remember the first day I got out of a Hana one mm-hmm. and we, we did not have internet because we don't have anything at this government housing, right? Sure. My mom would give me money to go to PC room, like a PC bank in South Korea to use internet. Yes. Back then the side world was something very huge in South Korea. It's like something South Korean version of Facebook, right? Sci oh yes, yeah, iWorld. Yes, owned by yeah. uh, <laughs> SK maybe. Anyway, yes, yeah, iWorld. Gosh. I know. So I was as a teenager, how fun is it to posting pictures? Mm-hmm. So I was trying to go sideward in the PC bar. Right. And it's, then in literally on the PC room, there's a regular like of so like brief, like you cannot allow if foreigners cannot allow in, right? Oh. <laughs> like we're googling, like, you know, not like can come in. And I, I told him like I'm not like a foreigner, I'm a South Korean. I'm from North Korea, but I have a South Korean citizenship. And it's like, you know, you're a foreigner, you cannot use this PC room. Wow, that's and very strange. Even I've used PC bangs in South Korea. They've never thrown me out because I was a foreigner. In the countryside in Myeongmunchon, uh, I went. Yes. It was not so. It was like a really out of nowhere in the countryside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I actually took uh, my ghost rider with me that back to that PC room. Oh, I mean, we were riding the world. Right. Yeah, but I don't think they had a science anymore. It was just funny to go back yeah. and see from different perspective mm-hmm. and he was nobody just like back then he just meant a lot for me <laughs> yeah right right yeah. Do, do you have any regrets about coming to live in south korea no i don't 
I think in a way that America is a lot softer than South Korea, right? America is more now, especially the more when you go to university, they are more like equity driven. Mm -hmm. It's not about as much competence and meritocracy on like South Korea. South Korea, like the Gyeongjang is the number one word that told me, like you're seeing me, like study hard. It's almost like a tattooed in my brain. When I got there, your simitars are like really work hard. Gyeongjang yes. has like, right? Right. It's Compete. something, yeah. yeah, competition, meritocracy, mm-hmm. doing your best. Like in South Korea, no, this is the thing I remember. They say, nobody remembers number two. Uh, Be the one, right? right? Yeah. You're doing best, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're number one, nobody remembers number two. Right. In America, now I come here, they say, Oh, just do your best. That's all more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think being in South Korea really toughened me up and helped me to be really vigorous when it comes to academics ah. and really learn how to study and be all like a learning machine. And if I came to America, I don't think I would ever like, you know, get this much about discipline that yeah. I got in South Korea. Now, I know some uh, not all, but some North Korean defectors, even though, of course, they had a, a difficult time in North Korea, that's why they left. But some of them, they they feel lonely in South Korea, they miss North Korea, some mm-hmm. of them even consider going back to North Korea mm-hmm. when life becomes too difficult for them uh, in South Korea. Did you ever have any mm-hmm. feelings like that? Or, or did your mother ever have any feelings like that? I mean, like I remember when I uh, arrived in South Korea, I literally thought, um if i had a you know in north korea we eat a lot of frozen potatoes yes not on purpose because we just don't have the warm place to keep the potatoes so they become really dark and black right. and and that was like biggest treat for me as a child i was literally thinking if there were enough frozen potatoes for me to eat every day i would go back to north korea ah. <laughs> it is a it is a hard to adjust to south korea it is a tough country mm. And life in freedom, it comes with a lot of responsibility, mm-hmm. right? North Koreans are not particularly good at make, thinking for themselves, yeah. making decisions, even understanding the, the history, nothing. Yes. So I think the challenge is so real. I had so many moments of, you know, I don't think my happiness level went up when I went to South Korea because I never even had time to think about what happiness was. Right. I literally was like sleeping two, three hours and I had no time to even eat. Yeah. <laughs> That's how competition was so brutal in South Korea. Yes. So I completely understand why the defectors feel that way. Mm. Mm-hmm. You, you wrote in your book um, that reading Animal Farm by George Orwell mm-hmm. uh, had a very strong impact on you uh, when you were in mm-hmm. South Korea. Can you tell us briefly about that? What kind of impact did it have on you? Yeah, so I just picked up this random book one day in the library. Ah, so you it chose Guinness it. Nobody book. recommended it. That's oh, interesting. No, because it was a, I just liked the reading. Yeah. And one day I went to pick in the school library in Daeon, like Hanulgumhakgyo is like the Heavenly Dream School for North Korean Defectors only school. Because right. I could not go to normal school. My like level was so low. Mm-hmm. I did. I took GED. So in that university, I mean a school, yeah. while I was taking GED, I picked this book called Animal Farm. And when I read that book, what struck me the most was not just, it really, of course, helped me understand how these animals, right? Two feet, four, two feet are bad, yeah. and you know, four feet are better, and then change it, two feet are actually better. Mm. And like all that progress of like North Korean regime starting with telling us, oh, no, good, free healthcare, free, you know, 
free education yeah. and we're gonna provide everything for you now self-realize you take care of yourself mm -hmm. but you are not allowed to even trade or on anything right? right it's literally that progression you understand but not only that like i could not believe the price of silence that caused like if this first generation and animals knew the time before the revolution mm. They knew when there's a human master was, it was bad, but it wasn't as crazy as like, you know, it wasn't like that. But when it came to me, I did not even know that I was oppressed in North Korea. I did not know the time before the revolution. Mm -hmm. I somehow thought the universe began with the Kim Il-sung. Right. Right? I never knew anything about before the Kim Il-sung. Yeah. So that's when I understand, I understood this is how the dictators become possible when become people silent and stop standing up for what they believe in. Wow. And that's why it really helped me to understand really a lot of the things and still my favorite book of all time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say from my own experience, uh, 25 years ago when I first came to South Korea and I was living mm. in uh, Paju on the border with North Korea, uh, mm. and I discovered accidentally uh, North Korean television was able to, I could watch North Korean TV on my TV because I was very close to <laughs> the demilitarized zone. Uh, mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was reading Animal Farm. I think I'd bought it in Kyobo Bookstore and I was reading it while watching North Korean TV. And for me, of course, also the connection was very clear. And that's, I think, what led me down the path uh, to ultimately hosting the podcast today. So uh, Animal Farm uh -huh. was important for both you and me. <laughs> that's beautiful maybe we should get a tattoo for it <laughs> no no tattoos no, yeah. <laughs> no tattoos <laughs> now, do you believe yeah. that uh, in south korea today do you believe that defectors are silenced from speaking about north korea well i mean this is a thing right i try to not to be but i have no reason to be biased and i i really everything i can to be open-minded mm -hmm. south korea is an interesting country it's a very compassionate country. If you see like this Ihori, the South Korean celebrities, yes. they are so compassionate about this animal shelters. Mm -hmm. And if you take the Korean air or Asian air, they take the coins and they have this campaign running for saving starving children in Africa. Mm -hmm. They are very, they have so much pride in themselves of a country that had a aid and like now they are giving aid to other countries, mm -hmm. right? That's like one of their pride they're having. Sure. But somehow when it comes to North Korea, like literally there are whatever the number, the many, minimum number is 50,000, somewhere up to 300,000, there are North Korean defectors in China yes. being sold and being raped, being killed. Mm -hmm. Like this is a complete systemic oppression and suffering of human beings. Yeah. And somehow South Korea do not stand up for that. And maybe as a government, I understand they their economy is a heavy rely on China, right? They need to export. Mm. So maybe as a government level, I get a little bit why they have to take care of their economy. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to individuals, even as a personal level, they don't care. Mm. This took me many years of uh, trying to understand where this is coming from yeah. because they are capable of being compassionate yeah. they are being capable of being philanthropic and doing the volunteering work mm. but somehow when it comes to north koreans they really don't want to care so this even the imanga moranbok yes. club a lot of this yenong channels did some way of good bringing north korean a thing as a topic right, right. i mean th those but, shows are successful because people care don't you think but that 
care is not leading to any systemic or policy change. Uh -huh. They never like go sign a petition. Let's save North Korean children from their starvation. Yeah. Let's do that. They don't do that. But maybe there are some North South Korean Democrats is more into engaging with the South North Korean regime. Mm -hmm. That I see, right? They are more like, oh, let's do the open the Gungangsan tour. Yeah. Let's open diplomacy with the regime. Like they want to eat. I mean, Moon Jae-in did that. But that never, like we do Kim Dae-jung when I was in North Korea, that's when Kim Dae-jung and Kim Jong-il met. Right. Literally, my mom was saying, we are, our country going to be reunified, right? Tongue was coming. Yes. Was, I was so excited. Like the suffering is ending. Our people are going to be one. And that engagement did not bring us even all one kind of formula to us. Mm. All that money that South Korea sent. If they said, like, I met so many people, say, I sent a lot of cows and rice to you. Did you receive any? I was like, no, if I receive it, I would not be here, right? Mm. So, so the <laughs> so, aid didn't reach the people? I mean, it reached Kim Jong-un and the people uh -huh. who are supporting the regime, but it definitely did not come to the people who are actually suffering. Right. And I think there's a really mismatch yeah. with the, there is a group in South Korea definitely trying to engage with North Korea, mm -hmm. but also they are not, they don't want to be speaking out against human rights violations. Did you so there's so mm -hmm. oh, sorry. did you say somewhere that criticism of the North Korean leadership is now illegal in South Korea? It, it, the, the, I mean, balloon launch, it became illegal. Uh, balloon right? launches, that, yes, that's right. Yeah. Sending things uh, without government permission across the border is uh, illegal. That's right. Uh, yeah, it used not be. It was on the back on it. It was actually even promoted. And I did uh, even a lot of balloon launches with other districts. Ah, you were involved in that. I've okay. Gone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did a lot of balloon. It was not only it, even it didn't make it there. It was a symbolic that we mm -hmm. had a freedom of speech mm. to practice what we believe yeah. in. That's the beauty of living in freedom. Yeah. But now, because of, I mean, Moon Jae-in says it's uh, against their whatever they pass a law in the regulation, and then now it's not they can go to prison. Mm. And a lot of my fellow defectors being captured and sent to prison and keep coming out and like, going back in. Yeah. So. It's it's kind of hilarious how how the free world is like going towards really cracking down on freedom of speech, mm. and obviously that's one of them. Now, in two thousand fourteen, you were um, already a little mm. bit famous in South Korea because of the show mm. that we mentioned already, Iman Gap. Now on my way to meet yeah. you, uh, and then yeah. you spoke at the One World Youth Conference in Dublin, Ireland, wearing a mm. pink hanbok. And this video drew many millions of views, uh, and it brought you a lot of attention uh, and a lot of support, mm. but it also drew some criticism, didn't it? Oh, not some. I mean, you know, Jack, <laughs> it wasn't some. <laughs> it's, uh, what, it, I mean, that's a thing, like, I don't know how much you know of my story. It's a, from the outsider perspective, I'm sure it can be very different. Mm. I went to that conference not knowing that thing was going to become viral. Right. And I don't know if you saw this uh, conference. They are actually mandating these speakers to wear their national clothes. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that so, at first. Yeah, now I realize that no, later. Yeah. But pe people were saying, like, you chose to be, like, right. sensationalizing uh -huh. wearing that costume. Yeah. And I was like, no, they required me to wear right. it. And also, if you see the first speech, I wasn't just out of nowhere crying. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a James Chow who was introducing yeah. me who lost his father. Yeah. So he was, like, railing me up and really brought my father's memory back to me. Mm. 
So it was a pure accident, right? Nobody becomes star when they decide because it's gotta happen, some random luck happens. And when that happened, of course, I had no agent. I had nobody. I had no lawyer. I was still attending Dongguk University. I had to come back to go back to school. So, and back then, my English was still not good. And I remember literally when I was giving interviews, if you still look at the Korean dictionary, like a Hanyong dictionary, mm -hmm. if you put the word pur, which is a plant, it gives you grass. Yes. So when they say, when you're hungry, what did you eat? Like I had dragonflies, grasshoppers, I ate grass. Uh -huh. But actually what I ate was plant. But now I understand the nuance difference between grass and plant. Yes. But back then when I was using dictionary, like grass is grass. Like how do I know that's a different thing from plant, right? right? And when I was climbing those hills, it was a, somebody went to Google uh, Earth yeah. and checked the altitude of the hill that I climbed. Mm -hmm. As a child, I thought that was a mountain that I climbed and then went to the river and crossed. Yes. But they said, technically, it's a high hill. It's not a mountain. Ah. So that kind of accusation. But like some of them were completely baseless, saying like, oh, you are a CIA agent. <laughs> You're trained by the West. Uh -huh. And then like, oh, I had a non-profit. I never set up non-profit. I raised tons of money. I'm like, are you kidding me? So, and then also some of them were actually really good questions. Yeah. Like I did lie when I first giving out interviews when I, because I was in South Korea, mm -hmm. I was 20, just turned 21 years old. Mm. And I had to go back to South Korea. And my dream was becoming a mom. And as you can see, I did become a mom at 22. Yeah. It wasn't a joke. I didn't want to have a family more than anything in my life. Yeah. And I thought if I tell people that I was trafficked, no same man in South Korea gonna take me as a person mm. and mother-in-law gonna accept me and give a baby yeah. with me, right? And as you don't know, I don't know if how many factors you know, they all say, oh, it happens, but not me. Uh, Most of North Korean defectors in South Korea, they don't speak up. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, I know that human trafficking happens, but it's not me. Right. And a lot of North Korean traffickers, I mean, defectors, including my own sister, hate the fact that I talk about how North Korean women being trafficked in China. Yeah. And I don't blame them because North South Korea blames or, you know, victims. Yeah. They don't, they, they, I mean, slob shaming them. Mm. And that's why I did lie. I said my mom helped me, my aunt like, protected me in China. Right. I never trafficked. And when I was writing the book after seeing Shin dong Yok, that's when I fully, fully came out. Yeah. And I'm sure like, mm, so that's all like the, story of uh, you know accusations moving on to your life in america when did you decide mm -hmm. that you would resettle to the u.s and why was that well i got very lucky i did not think you know that if you go to south korea first as a defector you cannot get a asylum in america mm, or any <laughs> other country so no no other country right. there's a lot of defectors trying it but if they did repatriate you they send you back to south yes. korea which is a good country to go back to you mm -hmm. know there's no complaints but so i never thought it was a possibility for me to ever relocate to the west but when i got the book deal yes. so after one young word i was reached out by a lot of publishers and i, I was uh, i got the contract with the penguin random house right. And then my agent and my publisher, they were only all in New York. Yeah. So I came to New York and write a book. And then I learned there was a school called the Columbia University. Mm -hmm. So I transferred to Columbia and 
that's how I really moved to New York. But then I had to go through the legal process of getting a, a you know, green card. Yes. So I applied for this thing called O1 visa. It's a extraordinary visa. Mm -hmm. And it's something that U.S. gives to people they think would pay taxes mm -hmm. and would bring some value into the country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so from that visa, I was able to get green card very easily. Ah. So that's how I got, I was able to legally settle in America. Right. Yeah, that's not easy. Even if I wanted to do that, it would be difficult. Oh, yeah, a lot of paperwork. Right. Yeah. Are your mother and older sisters still living in South Korea? Yeah, they do. It's a, it's interesting. Like my sister never, she chose a path of forever, you know, forget about what happened to mm. her and choose a private life she changed her name right. and she's a elementary school teacher uh -huh. and she's very happy yeah so she never wants to come to america actually never? oh <laughs> wow now you were you mm. were separated from her from your sister for seven years after she crossed the border from north korea into china yeah. and in your book you mm -hmm. describe a very dramatic reunion but now that you live in the united states i, I guess you're sort of separated from her again you must miss her and your mother quite a lot yeah, but thankfully, my sister were able to visit me a lot in America. Mm -hmm. And my mom also, especially last year when I was getting divorced, my mom was like here very, very like often. Ah. So they are able to come here and visit me. Even during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it was interesting. It's uh, South Koreans couldn't come. Yeah. I think they were shutting their own to Europe and some china like right but they never shut the door on to south koreans ah, so south korea was okay mm. but but europe not so much yeah okay yeah yeah because there's a big break i think in europe mm -hmm. so they they close the door for the europeans and are you happy to keep living in the united states do you never think about moving back to south korea to be near your family i mean i mean according to south korean intelligence saying there's a huge threat that when if i'm in south korea and they need to put detectives with me 24 7 oh. like what they do with taeyong mm -hmm. and like Zhang Zizan or other defectors yep. and it's funny like i escape i did everything to be free and why i'm gonna be with those detectives all the time right, right? so i i don't think i will ever like that kind of um you know, not an enslavement, but it's, it's just not a good thing. I want to be able to go wherever I want to go. Nobody to check the bathroom for me. Yeah. So in America, I have that, like, I have that freedom. I can just be alone and, you know, I, I don't get as scared. Mm -hmm. So for security reasons, I don't think I can be in South Korea, unfortunately. Oh now, politically speaking, um, you've mm -hmm. moved a little bit from being a rather moderate TED Talk speaker two to three years ago to mm -hmm. being a much more vocal public personality in, in US political circles today. Uh, what prompted mm. this change? It was not change. I think when I came to America, I really, I was very blank slate, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I was in North Korea, they literally told me that I was a Kim Il-sung Minjo. Yeah. I was a Kim Il-sung race, yeah. right? <laughs> I didn't really even know the notion of Asia. What does it mean being a, never knew that my skin was yellow. I never even heard that before. Mm -hmm. So I came really come to America as a blank slate where having no biases, having no preconceptions whatsoever, I came here. And then I really learned America as a dart. And in the beginning, of course, I thought everybody's saying, oh, being a conservative means you're being a bigot, you're a, you know, racist. 
So I thought, oh, I should really, really avoid mm-hmm. that, <laughs> you know? Like, and people really told me in the beginning, if you are being a human rights activist, you are going to be canceled. So you should never having political views shown to the public. And back then, I, I kind of accepted it because, I mean, already being challenged by North Korea, there are so many character assassin like attempts and this, you know, harassment was so much. I could not deal with more enemy in America. Mm. And last year, year, I had this unbelievable experience living through the looting. So I've been living in Chicago and there has been a lot of looting after Georgia Floyd death. Yeah. Floyd death. And until then, like even my mom was still thinking like, oh, America is so bad to black people. It's such a systemically like racist place, mm-hmm. right? And, and then like last year, I see these people who are asking for social justice is looting Chanel stores and Nike stores, Apple stores and Tesla, right? And I couldn't make that connection. Like, how do you fight for justice while you are getting Gucci back? Mm. Like, I've I've been fighting for my freedom and for, for North Korean people's freedom. I never thought I had to go steal bags from Chanel, right? Just never connecting me as the same activist. I'm an activist, they're activists. I get the same thing, but... Not only that, I was robbed on the street and they were, these black girls were robbing me and I had no clue. I mean, there are thieves, the Asians are thieves. Anybody can be a rapist. Anybody can be, you know, and a murderer. Yeah. I didn't occur to me. They were just black girls who were raped. I mean, like were taking things away from me, but the people on the street were starting telling me that I'm a racist. And then I'm, a, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. Like people are so lost here that only thing they could see was a skin color. They could not like care about what was happening, who is the actual victim. Did they say that you were a, a racist because you were accusing these black women of robbing you on the street? Because I was trying to call the police on I them. see. Because I did not even call them. I was, I was, I did not even tell them you are like a huge store. I even though I saw it, my nanny saw it. I, I didn't tell her that you were robbing it. I did not. I'm not even telling you a thief. I just want you to come the until the police comes here. We get it cleared, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then of course, this girl started yelling at me that I'm a racist. And then all these white people on the street in the Michigan Avenue joining me and t- telling me that I'm a racist mm-hmm. and then circling me around so these girls could run away so I cannot call the police on them. And thankfully, this girl stole my credit card, went to Bloomingdale, spent something like eight grand mm-hmm. there, and then police got the footage and matched it, and this girl convicted. But my problem is not even convicting her. Like anybody can be a thief, mm. right? But the fact that somehow these people assume that black people can never be a perpetrators and Asians are the like racist and privileged mm-hmm. group. Like this is a beyond madness that I never thought. And now I'm certainly fighting for, I am getting censored. I'm shadow banned by, you know, Instagram and I know as you you see my channel, I've been making a lot of videos about North Korean women's plight in China, mm-hmm. how we are being sold, how China is you know making us vulnerable, and all these videos get demonetized. So I reached out to Google, like you guys support me too, yeah. right? And they're like, yeah. So then this is a me too of North Korean women. Mm-hmm. Like we are raped, we are sexually harassed. Why do you demonetize these videos? And all they came up with a week later is like, it just does not meet our guidelines. Mm. That's it. 
I don't even know what the guideline means, but whenever you say you are raped and white people or something, it's okay, but you somehow you are talking about the victims of CCP is not allowed. Mm. So I've been discovering, and also the thing is, it's so amazing. There's so many people who can talk about Holocaust, but the United Nations COI report is that in 2014, yeah. right? The only resemblance that we can find in human history is a Holocaust and Stalin's concentration camps for North Korean situation mm. when it comes to human rights. So this is modern day Holocaust. And this regime is completely, completely supported by China. China supplies them oil. If without them of supplying oil, how on earth North Korea are gonna test their nukes? Right? It's impossibility. They don't have their own oil in their country. So condemning China for their sponsorship of North Korea gets me canceled. And that's why when I realized even in America, there's like freedom of speech is like going away. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot believe in America that I have to fight for this fundamental right that is like freedom of speech. Like you can have a, America is like, I thought was like a marketplace for ideas, right? You can have different ideas and nobody should be punished for thinking aloud. And now in America that we just having cancer culture and big tech censorship. And I see like, when you talk about white privilege or white guilt, I was at Colombia talking about their white guilt. And this is something that North Korean regime does. Like they say your great grandfather was a landowner. Mm -hmm. Now your blood is tainted. And they put you in the lower the caste system group. How the heck was I having a choice when my great grandfather was alive and being a landowner or being an oppressed person? It wasn't my choice. Like you do not choose your skin color. And seeing somehow now my son is a half North Korean, half white mm -hmm. boy, gotta be answering a slavery that happened a few hundred years ago. That's, that's beyond heartbreaking. Like we cannot do that to each other, right? That's, I think that really made me to speak out against in America of this like Marxist, American Marxism, really. But I, I need to, uh, to ask you a little bit. You, you're talking mm -hmm. about um, freedom of speech. Um, and yeah. you have a, a YouTube channel with uh, more than 750,000 subscribers. And in the last four months, I've seen you on more media appearances than I've seen you in the last five years. Uh, how do you, mm -hmm. in what way do you think your freedom of speech is, you know, I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to reconcile that with the idea that you're not able to, or that you're punished for speaking out. Oh yeah, I'm, that's a great question. I think that's a thing. It's a I am not in any way comparing current America to North Korea, right? Literally, what you say is not gonna get executed. But in North Korea, if you say "f you Kim Jong Un," you're gonna be executed, mm -hmm. right? Sure. So of course we are talking about day and night difference. Mm. But the thing is, what I'm saying is, if you actually go on Instagram, I don't know if you follow me. If you followed me, you might be able to see me. But if you go with an account that does not follow uh -huh. me, and if you type Yonni Park, I don't come uh -huh. up. After Joe Rogan, I got shadow banned. And if you haven't followed me on Twitter, mm -hmm. just using a new Twitter account and go me. And if you search me and a lot of contents, even just me having a breakfast, they says sensitive content. Mm -hmm. You have to see more to see my mm -hmm. content. Mm -hmm. And not only that, I can send you a thing. So, and then in my videos, some of them are restricted. I cannot even upload mm -hmm. it. And some videos are just demonetized. Oh, yeah. 
But imagine as a person now, if this is you living, there's many content creators, that's their day job, right? They go around the world, going to vlogging the, their trip adventures. Right. This is their daily livelihood. And if you only incentivize the speech that you promote, mm -hmm. What does this do? Eventually, people do not get incentivized for the videos they're making, the editing do you do, content creation. It, it costs money to create a video, right? You need to pay for the editor. Mm -hmm. You have to pay for a studio, right. all of these devices. And when you're making all this money, I mean, make, paying all this money to create a video and you get $0, yeah. you lose money on it. Then how does that shape the narrative? Right then that's how you change it gradually. What speech can I be more highlighted? That's the difference I'm talking about. I'm not saying America's North Korea, but the, and not only me, like I'm now currently shadow banned, but you know, while I've been living in America, this current sitting president, Trump, you know, I was the biggest critic of Trump when he was meeting in Sure, Zeman. yeah. It was on New York Times. Uh, I yeah. was, I only call up people because when their behaviors are bad. I don't choose a side. I was biggest critic of Trump. I, I have been ever. He was a sitting president, but you know, there's a lot of channels like the echo of truth the North Korean regime yeah. has, right? It got banned and it comes back. And like Urimin Zokiri and like Taliban has accounts. Mm -hmm. All these guys can have accounts, but somehow the sitting president of America cannot have account on Twitter and Facebook and Google. And when they came for Trump, I was like, oh, it's Trump they are not going to come for me. I mean, they went for other people. They went for all my other people that I've been following. So that's the thing why, I, why I'm fighting is that censorship is not good for democracy, right. right? What do you afraid of? I mean, the beauty of living in capitalism is that communists can thrive. Look at AOC in America. Look at Bernie Sanders. The reason why I like America is not because there's no communists, mm -hmm. because anybody who have a different ideas can thrive. And you can have a civil discussion about it. In North Korea, if you are capitalist, mm -hmm. you get executed. No. In America, in free market, you if you are communist, you can be AOC, you can go to Megala. Right. Well. And this is yeah, this is like what I'm exactly fighting for. It's just like and we should be okay with different perspectives. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's focus a bit on your YouTube channel. Uh, how many videos yeah. have you uploaded so far? I think it must be over 100 by now. I'm, I hope so. <laughs> I really don't uh, know, but I've been making a lot of videos. And yeah. Is yeah, it one a week? Uh, I, I don't know. No, in the beginning last year, I did it almost like once a yeah. day. And now I'm working, uh, I do more in-person uh -huh. work. So, I do, so I've been doing it more like two times two a times, week. Okay. <laughs> now they they, they yeah. definitely appear to be quite high in production value. Does it take a lot of time to make a video and, and do you get any outside assistance for editing and titles and things like that no titles like thumbnails is all me but uh the editing i do have a, a contractor mm -hmm. who does the editing for me and uh but the contents and the thumbnail all of that i do it myself uh -huh. so it's been if you if you can see i've been like trying out different yeah. things and i still like still trying to figure it out actually <laughs> are you friends with other north koreans who have youtube channels oh yeah i've been i talked to yuna i talked to uni i talked to evelyn and sherry like you know i talked to hogang i used to do this korean thing with him too mm -hmm. so i talked to a lot of North Koreans and it, actually in Chicago there is a big community of North Korean oh. detectors 
like when I mean big is like 10 yeah, people, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like because only like 211 North Korean defectors are uh-huh. here officially, I mean legally, I'm yes. saying. So big ten is like big community, and so we we do have this like uh gatherings. We still do karaoke. And, oh yeah. You know, try to keep that alive. Uh, do you still <laughs> have contact with people in in North Korea or traveling back and forward between North Korea and China today? Both. Yeah, I do. I do have people inside North mm-hmm. Korea. I do have a connection to the people who are who are officially got out with a visa. Ah. So working in third world and working for the current North Korean government. Are these people you knew and, when, before you left 14 years ago or, or people who you came to know later? Oh, actually, the people I, I talk in North Korea currently, the people actually I met when I was in China, because ah. that's when I was looking for brokers and sending money and getting my like cousin oh, out. Yes. and. I've been trying to rescue my family members mm-hmm. a while, but of course they all got disappeared when I spoke right. out. But so therefore, I, I there's some people I still have in touch with them, and these officials that I know are actually I met a lot of them actually when I met like doing the YouTube mm-hmm. actually Korean oh. YouTube. They really reach out to you, and actually a lot of North Korean elites want to escape. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that. Uh, when they get captured, the State Department doesn't step in and rescue them at all. And the U.S. is almost like as soon as maybe they come to our door, we're going to rescue them, but unless we cannot really help them out. And are these people so your major source for information on what is happening in North Korea after you left? I mean, but the thing is, you know, when it comes to North Korea, we all absolutely agree that whatever the information you get is a very fractional mm. thing. It's not a whole picture. You have no idea what in the whole picture is going yeah. on right i mean i can call the broker and like what's the you know what's the situation is any public ration what's the price of rice you know what's the situation but then it's also only in 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 the in his right. but i do have some people in the in the middle country yeah. so they I, I do talk to them but it's with the north korean livelihoods it's not like in south korea it doesn't really change that much mm. Right, it's just still so hard, so much cracking down. Traveling is hard. Just more every day you call them is more like restrictions added and added, especially the during yeah. the pandemic. Just still checkpoints are everywhere. Like literally, the whole country became a whole like just prison system. So recently, you you made a mm-hmm. video in which you said that data shows that cannibalism is increasing uh, in North Korea. And I remember yeah. reading reports about cannibalism in North Korea during the arduous march period of the mid to late mm-hmm. 1990s. And even those reports have been much disputed and, and are controversial. Uh, so mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. hear that you've got data that, you know, cannibalism is increasing now, uh, I was surprised mm-hmm. to hear that, but you didn't give any, any details about that. So where did you see or hear data about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, it was, I think, definitely something on the radio free mm-hmm. Asia, or I think that's when I saw it, but I'm going to look it up. And, and also I've been talking to other uh-huh. defectors and who has more uh, connection to the people who comes out and talking to street brokers. But the thing is, there, I mean, like, I asked them, like, how's it going? Like, how's it, like, yeah, things is getting worse. Like, is it worse than when I was there? Like, yeah, that's a time when the tigers were smoking. It's a Korean saying. Like when the tigers were talking and smoking, those are mm-hmm. great times, right? So if you talk to actually actual North Korean who is living yeah. under there, nobody says it's getting better. 
it's getting right. worse more than ever. So because I think we are getting information from personally, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, brokers we talk to, there's no way they do public survey around the North Korea. So they can tell me it's just, just horrible. And I do also check with yeah. other people talking to other brokers and like, what do you hear? And like, yeah, it's, it's absolutely getting unbelievably bad during the pandemic right. just so much is suffering so much cracking down no smuggling means death to all these people who are living in the border town who can, there's no economy yeah. in north korea like how do you survive where there's no economy you cannot I mean, smuggle this is really literally a death sentence for people and this Kim Jong-un is i mean fat dictator all he has like food so he doesn't need to open up the border but these people cannot afford to just sitting at home and working from mm. home right so pandemic has been no matter who you talk to the official and whoever you talk to it's gotten awfully worse and there's that's the only one thing that consensus we can make we don't know how many people actually dying from starvation we don't know how many actually severely managed but it is not even kim jong-un says that officially that yeah there is a widespread spread like malnutrition growing around mm. the country that was very rare for Kim Jong-un to even admit it because I think he knows that he cannot even hide it from it. Right, anymore. but widespread cannibalism, so, I think that's, mm -hmm. we, we have to be careful with uh, with claims like that, right? Because even, of course, throughout human history, always there have been some uh, extreme cases, like when there was that uh, airplane that crashed in the mm -hmm. mountains of South America with the, the football team and, you know, um, mm -hmm. eventually oh, yeah. they were forced mm -hmm. to... Uh, to have some if i remember the story correctly eventually they, they were, mm. uh, had no other choice but to eat some of the the meat of the person yeah. who had who had died in the the plane crash but that's always different from mm. uh, a claim that you know cannibalism is widespread or cannibalism is common or cannibalism is normal and and i i just don't know if there's mm. any evidence for that yet uh, in in north korea we, we have to be careful with claims like that Right. So I, I completely, really agree with you on that. I mean, but the thing is, like, when it comes to North Korea, I, I listen to your podcast. I mean, there's a reason why I read every CIA analyst who work on the administration write a book, right? I read every journal that I can find and to read mm -hmm. about North Korea is because how close it is, how hard it is actually get the data that shows proof of what's happening in general yeah. picture. And it, it, it is true when you talk to the like all these brokers and in the country they say yeah like this we hear that they're starting you know some like people kill and eat each other like in the you know Konani Hengun Caesar like they say that mm -hmm. right I'm sure that's why a lot of this recently if you see North Korean defector channels that's more like uh, that's why like we've been we're talking about because that's what brokers have been saying to us it's getting a lot harder yeah. right but the thing is but that does not mean though we can dismiss that information and this is what has been frustrating with me is that you cannot literally go inside north korea and document the human rights violations the tortures what kind of degree of torture they are applying to these inmates and therefore somehow we cannot talk about it or i mean it wasn't like i was saying giving a data like there are ten thousand people were eaten by other people it wasn't that it was like widespreading is we emerging and it wasn't only me talking about it, it was like radio free asia i'm sure like it was maybe voice of america i'm not sure they were reporting it too and i think this is something tricky with north korea that i do not like to deal with but we have to deal with is because this data is not verifiable 100 percent 
does not mean that we cannot talk about it or dismiss it. Because I mean, the best in the perfect world, we should go into North Korea and open up the door and then see what's going mm -hmm. on inside. But we cannot do that. So we, I'm still learning that. That's why I'm always open to hear from you and learning here in your podcast too. It's like, you gotta be very careful what you're using, but also, I do not because I don't want that to be a reason why we are not discussing what's going on, even if it's an anecdotal mm. event. Well, right? Because that's sometimes the only thing that we can rely on. I think, <laughs> I think that's that what's really valuable about the, uh, the UN mm. Committee of Inquiry report. Uh, and then before that, mm. in, in earlier years, uh, I think it was, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Stefan Haggard and Marcus Noland wrote a, a big. Uh, piece on on concentration on the prisoner camps in yeah. North Korea and mm -hmm. uh, they talked about mm -hmm. you know um, how they chose what evidence to include and mm -hmm. very similar mm -hmm. to how you described the process of writing the book in order to live with Marianne yeah. Dollars that she talked to you and she mm -hmm. talked to your mother and she talked to your sister and she talked to your childhood friend and if the stories mm -hmm. uh, supported each other if the stories corroborated each other she included those mm -hmm. details in the book and in the committee of inquiry report and in Haggard and Nolan's report they had a very similar kind of filtering mm -hmm. process that you know of course if yeah. you take a couple of extreme stories um they might be the most interesting stories but if they're not supported by other stories it, it's dangerous to include that and so they they have a kind of a, a broad mm. picture of you know which uh evidence sorry which stories are supported by other people's stories independently and then that can be more trustworthy more believable uh and, and those stories mm. you know that's that, that's how they use it in the report. And that's, I think that's why the report, even now, eight years on, is still a very valuable resource because it was so uh, selective and careful in choosing what information mm. to include. I'm so glad to hear that, actually. I mean, I've been getting a lot of, I've been citing that report a lot too, but then people say, oh, those are based on interviews or their defectors actually who mm -hmm. are liars. So how do I trust yeah. that? So almost like when it comes to, arguing the factuality there's no way of winning mm -hmm. it because it is true like even CLI report the UN delegation could not go in and do investigation yeah, yeah. right they had to rely on de facto testimony so I think that we can do better job at it and yeah. for sure I'm still in the process of learning it and I think but that's the thing like that's why we always have to be always open-minded and hearing from different perspectives mm -hmm. and that's why I'm always like, listening to your podcast and like in you know, everybody else's books and newspapers and just see what's in the big so I can draw a big picture because I get a lot of small pieces of information from everybody mm, else yeah. and it, when it comes to me I, I synthesize by myself at the end of the day. And that's how I make a sense out of the event that is happening. Because I just, there's no way you can 100% of that. Right, right? No, exactly. And even mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I've spoken yeah. to somebody quite recently who's been directly involved in helping uh, North Koreans come through uh, China, through Southeast Asia into South Korea. And he uh, you know, said to mm -hmm. me that uh, Generally speaking, he found that the story that is most true is the one that the defectors tell when they are still escaping from North Korea. Uh, so, uh, because they're st mm. they're still closest to the original point of you know where the stories mm. happened. In other words, North Korea, and that yeah. as soon as they come to uh, to South Korea or to a third country, and you know uh, Europe or, or or Japan or America, then the story. Mm. Uh, 
can take on other details. And, you know, that's also where money becomes mm. involved. Uh, you know, sometimes media mm. agencies, they, they offer money for stories. And then there's a, an incentive to, to tell the mm. best story possible and the most shocking story possible and maybe uh, even exaggerate mm. a little or to, to adopt mm. details from other people's stories. You know, maybe, you know, if, if I defected with my friend and my friend died somewhere in China, then I might take some mm. parts of his life story and make them part of my own story because in mm. that way I can feel that his story lives on through me you know that, that those kind mm. of incentives wow. and problems exist in in the defective community and that's why it's best to to find the independent stories that back each other up that support each other that's the safest mm. way to build up a picture I think so right I mean I do think I'm survey learning and I mean, like sometimes, right? Not only that, like as a survivor, right? It takes a time for you to build mm -hmm. that trust. And even, especially talking about sexual oh, trauma yeah. for a girl, it takes yeah. a time, right? Like in, for me, it took a while for me to come out until I came to America, understood that this world is not punishing the victims and there are people completely fine with that mm -hmm. women being raped. I could not come out as a sexual, like a sort yeah. of survivor, right? And so I definitely can see the evolution they can go through in a variety of ways and this is always also my question too i've been listening to you a while mm. actually and i i listened to also the uh, victor chas podcast event oh, yes, yes. have now they are not as active as you guys you are but they also have this good discussions whenever big issue comes out especially north korea has nukes you know new dimension comes in and I am like, of course, I know that I'm being judged and I've been, and right, like, not only that, it doesn't really matter. It does, at this point, what I am curious is that we, we have passed that point that we need to even draw a picture out of what's happening, right? Because even though you're talking to the defector just got out a day before, you go to the river, Tuman River or Ayalu mm -hmm. River, you are in this shelter, get the defectors, get their testimony, they all have done it, right? There's a lives for sale, there's a big report about these women went to China and met all these women who were sold mm -hmm. to Chinese men and how documenting how women are being sold and their livelihood and their children, mm -hmm. right? So we all know that what's happening is a very grotesque human rights violation. And I really want to see that if we are a society that fights for justice, wouldn't we focusing on a lot of energy as much as we are focusing on verifying every single detail that the factors remember, remember or not, mm -hmm. right? that same energy to pushing for the right policy, mm -hmm. pushing for the right situation that we can solve this crisis that we've never mm -hmm. seen before. Like we never seen a country has been this much systemically been oppressed mm -hmm. for this long. And this is where it puzzles me that like these people are so passionate about what they can, how they're changing their story. But the thing is, we all know that people get executed mm -hmm. in North Korea. They don't have freedom of movement. They don't have a freedom of speech. And people do not even know what human rights are, yeah. right? That we can agree. No matter what details are, we can agree. And the fact that you you and the delegation cannot go in there mm -hmm. and investigate, North Korea has something to hide from them. If they have nothing to hide, why would they just not open the door for all of us to go right. in? And also, when Kim Jong-un says, where there's no human rights violations, he executed his own mm. newspaper. 
he cares his half brother, right? Like this is the thing. Like if that's how he treats his family members, imagine how he's gonna treat his own countrymen. So it's it's a, that's the thing. That's why I'm so confused when it comes to North Korean uh -huh. academics. It just feels like as much as I want them to be challenging the factors, I want them to show them the better ways of sharing stories. I really mm. support that. But the thing is that there's not as much effort from the North Korean intellectual studying community that want to push in for the mm -hmm. policy towards US government, towards South Korea, and bring a tangible action. And this is why I'm very, very, it was very excited to yeah. talk to you. Like, what can we do to do that, really? What do we have to do? Yes, you know? Actually, I'm going to return to that thing because that's my last section is about how to help North mm -hmm. Korea. But before we do that, you, you've made some videos mm -hmm. recently, uh, this year, in fact, about uh, a fake mm -hmm. Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-un might be gay or Kim Jong-un in a coma. H have you learned any more uh, facts about these things since you made those videos? I mean, were those rumors really true? Is Kim Jong-un in a coma? No, is, I mean, is he actually gay? So, so I'm going to go to the first video about gay because it's a really uh -huh. funny one. Um, it's, if you watch a full video, it's actually almost my middle finger to Kim Jong-un because when Sony uh, got hacked by uh, Kim, like North Korea when they made the movie yeah, called the interview, Interview. Right. So, yeah, so Sony made that picture, Dracula Kim Jong-un, and just pissed uh -huh. him off. Right, because like they got really, I mean, hacked by North Korea. They got upset, so they really wanted like, like you know, f you, Kim Jong Un. If you do that too, we're gonna like make you fun of even more than like yes. in the interview. So that's why I was like, share these photos. We're gonna piss off Kim Jong Un a little bit mm -hmm. today, right? So of course, I mean, there's, no, I mean, he has a, according to South Korean Kuk Jong Un, the intelligence, they say Kim Jong Un has like several yeah. children at least. So I, I, he's very sexually active with the women, for sure, according to South Korean intelligence newspaper that mm -hmm. I've been reading. And so that's why, but it was more that kind of funny thing that I did. So if you see the full video, that's what it was. And another video by Kim Jong-un is comma. It wasn't, I was my response to CNN report or South Korean. Back then it was like in CNN mm -hmm. reported that Kim Jong-un is in a vegetable state and then the media was a whole went crazy. So my response back then was that he wasn't in a coma and I, people said like, oh, he's dying, his sister's ruining. But I was saying, I don't think that Kim Jong-un can replace mm -hmm. Kim Jong-un. And I'm sure Kim Jong-un will come back because he has yeah. done that before. He was gone away for like five weeks before and then he did not come back. So that was my response. And because it was like, I don't know what from where CNN got that information yeah. and reporting it. But it was just interesting how people want to be him to be dead that much, mm -hmm, right? <laughs> really, people want Kim Jong Un to be dead. <laughs> now, you're you now are a a North Korean human rights activist. Uh, do you work together mm -hmm. with any groups or organizations? No, that has been my policy because I never wanted to get the accusation that she, uh, you know, gets money and then like do these those things. Because you know how many North Korean de facto organizations in South Korea get the accusation? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, they are like, their life job is being a de facto. They are like getting money, blah, blah. There's so much negativity in it. So I was, I used to think there's more than enough nonprofits. My job is really promoting what they do to I the see. world. So more bring supporters to Link, to yeah. Now, to like Park Sang-hak like you know even Bog, like all those people who are actually doing yeah. actual work and so i try to be more the bridge between this 
actual people who are making a difference on the ground and the people who have no idea there's something mm-hmm. can be done when it comes to North Korea. So I try to bring them to them. You have a uh, Patreon account and also accept donations mm. through PayPal and presumably with 770,000 subscribers approximately, uh, you're able to make some money from YouTube. D- is that money enough mm-hmm. to pay you a salary and living expenses? Well, in the beginning, wasn't the cracking down wasn't as bad. Actually, the views were better. But as soon as I started coming out, actually, it's been getting harder. But it's okay. I mean, it's I, I mean that's the thing. Like, it, I need to pay my uh, editor, yeah. right? I need to mm-hmm. pay the rent. I need to do these things. But it's I mean I've been managing it okay. And the thing is, you know, like I remember when I went to South Korea, when my mom and I went to this trash, trash mm. like the thing, the, the you know. And we picked up a lot of clothes and plates out. I couldn't believe why would these people throw this perfectly fine yeah. mattress away, right? Like, and it made me so happy that in South Korea, when you go to trash cans, like there's so many goodies mm-hmm. out there. And because of that, I have a lot more peace. And, you know, I'm not afraid of completely losing my account and get kicked out of mm-hmm. Google from like, like that Trump did. Even if that happens, there's always a way, so I'm fine. <laughs> Some people say that you've now become a, a professional defector. Um, do, do you think that that's mm. a, a fair criticism? Well, I mean, doesn't really, I don't even know what that I means. I guess it means because, uh, making money by being a, a defector and telling your story and talking about North Korea. But like I talk about America, I talk about philosophy, right? I talk about the US Constitution, I talk about even meaning of life, I talk about how I overcome my trauma, like mm-hmm. me being who I am and being a North Korean has really little things to it. You know how many defectors in South Korea, 30, over 30,000 mm-hmm. of them. I like to read. I am very interested in philosophy and history and politics, mm-hmm. right? There are, it's the contents of character of me, who I am matters more to me than where I'm coming from. Like who cares I was born in North mm. Korea, right? And this is why I love America, that your background doesn't matter. Like whenever in, in America, like who cares I'm, I'm a North Korean? They say, who are you? What are you caring about? What are you trying yeah. to do, right? So, I mean, if some people want to find their identity as their pronouns, that's what usually now America do, right? All about them is their pronouns that they became yeah. their identity. But I hope that my life becomes more than that so I can be a bigger person than that. And Right now, I, I am, as you have noticed, that I'm very passionate about turning America into the mm-hmm. more middle. So we still have free discourse and freedom to disagree with each other. And we can have this marketplace of ideas and let the ideas compete and rule out the bad ideas, right? So I my life is more than beyond just talking about North Korea, especially lately, because uh, my job has been expanding more Mm -hmm. to America. And I work with a, now actually I'm on the board of Human Rights Mm. Foundation. And what we are doing, what we've been doing, I've been on the board for many years now, we are fighting against authoritarianism around the globe. So we have a Putin con, we have exposed what Putin does with Mm. the distance. We talk about Venezuela, we talk about Belarus, and I do advise them how to have Mm. this distance. And also another organization that I've been just joining is a Operation Underground Railroad. They go Haiti, Thailand, like Mm. Spain, I mean, other countries and get the girls from sex trafficking out. 
So I've, I've been involved in definitely more than North, one North right. Korean project. And so, yeah. Last November, mm -hmm. almost a year ago, you uploaded a video, How mm -hmm. to Help Free North Korea. And in that video, you yeah. it's, a, it's not a long mm -hmm. video. You give some practical tips to mm -hmm. your viewers about, um, for example, raising awareness and getting involved in a nonprofit organization. But I, I couldn't help but notice mm -hmm. that that video has only been watched by 65,000 people, which it's a lot of people, but far yeah. fewer than some of your mm -hmm. more popular uh, videos. And you have some sensational <laughs> titles. We already talked about Kim Jong-un in a coma. You've also got uh, yeah. the most popular ones. Uh, Kim Jong-un brutally shoots an orchestra conductor 90 times in front of every mm -hmm. artist in Pyongyang. Uh, shocking facts about North mm -hmm. Korea's first lady. Uh, North Korea's secret pleasure mm. squad parties, the end of Kim Jong-un, shocking mm. facts about North Korea's sexuality mm. and North Korea's beauty standards. And I mentioned those titles because all of them have more than 1 million views each. So congratulations, that's a, a great number. But unfortunately, <laughs> how to help free North Korea, uh, only 65,000 views. Uh, it's it's a pity that people seem to be more interested in watching the videos that have the word shocking in the title uh, than mm. in actually how to yeah. help. And even your most recent video that you uploaded yesterday is how large is North mm. Korea's top elite group, shocking revelations of mm. the North Korean regime's power structure. It seems a little bit like mm. clickbait, but to someone like me who's been watching mm. North Korea for a long time, the contents may not actually be very shocking. Uh, maybe <laughs> if you make a video like how to free North Korea, but use a title like shocking ways change could come to North Korea. You might get more views. What do you think? <laughs> well, my really use that. I mean, the thing is, right, like you, as you can see, I, my, my husband, I've been trying many years, made many, many mistakes and still learning. And I would totally want to keep improving, right? Mm -hmm. That's my goal. I don't want to settle whatever I am here. And I have try to make North Korea not as boring, you know? That's why I talk about sometimes beauty standards, how funny that big round belly and bald hair is a hot thing in North Korea and in America yeah. is totally opposite, right? And <laughs> like, no, South Korea is obsessed with diet in North Korea being chubby is actually good. And so those things are really funny and people really liked it. And I also try to talk about, the, you know, how Christians are persecuted mm -hmm. in North Korea and how women are suffering in the military yeah. sexual abuse and how women cannot even have a tampons and th things that women cannot have in childbirth and formula and all those things. I've been trying to really portray everything about it. So that's why, but some videos get really loved in here and some videos don't. And especially the how to have North Korea, I've been trying that out a long time, even when I go in person mm. speeches, people are not, they do ask questions of what yep. can we do about it, but when you give them the, the method to do about it, they don't really want uh. to follow it up. And this is, I don't know what to do about it. I've been keep telling them like, this is how you mm. can make a difference. But somehow, maybe I don't present it in an exciting way or something if you have better yeah, think, ideas. Well, use you know, the word shocking in the I title. That would definitely uh, attract uh, more attention would be my advice. Awesome. Uh, what is the number one thing that defectors like you can do outside North Korea to help make change and give power to people still inside North Korea? I think it's a, this has another something long last impact in me was seeing my father's mm. death in China. Like, when he died, right, I couldn't call yeah. anybody. There was no funeral. There was no honorable way of even burying him. 
had to sneak him out mm. in the middle of the night and cremate, cremate. him and be, like bury him. Yeah, cremate him and then bury him like a dog. As if dog who dies, you don't hide mm. away like that, right? There's like zero dignity mm-hmm. in his own death. And I remembered when I was crossing the desert, like if I died right now, if I die right now in this desert, nobody will know that I existed yeah. in this world. Right, like, like if you, if I died in North Korea, that's starvation. You would not know I exist in this world. And for a North Korean who have mm-hmm. gone through that, for me, that even knowing a comfort that somebody knew who I was, that I existed, give me a lot of comfort. So maybe I might not bring a change. I mean, this problem has been exist for almost yeah. eighty years. I, I, I don't know. I, as much as I try to help and change it, I'm not sure. But sometimes. All that I can do for them is that letting the world know that North Koreans exist, that make mm. them visible. And they have been so invisible by all this traditional media, right? They would rather making fun of Kim Jong-un's mm-hmm. haircut than talking about women suffering yep. North Korea and children suffering in North Korea. And so I think what defectors can do is be successful, mm-hmm. be happy, and have a victorious life and show Kim Jong-un that how much you can achieve out of that hellhole-like mm. system and also letting the world know that we North Koreans exist. We are not in a different planet. And it's amazing that when Americans are obsessed going to the Mars and like in a yeah. different planet and they say nobody wants to explore mm. North Korea, right? It's like our Earth. I'm like, you can go to Mars after exploring North Korea. How about that, I'd right? like to explore it, but so it's I a really bit like, difficult. No one, you know, no one can go in right now. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, I mean, even if you go in as a legal, mm. I mean, traveler, no, you cannot go anywhere right. without your guys. I mean, like, it's not like you can walk around and do the backpack traveling in North Korea. It's a completely closed place for the everyone yeah. here outside. Would right you now. send um, the movie Parasite or the Netflix series Squid Game into North Korea on a thumb drive? Do you think that would be a good idea? Absolutely not. <laughs> not why not? I mean, I have nothing to against it. The production value is really great. The storytelling is amazing. But uh-huh. when you portray South Korea, that like brutal place where people get killed, yeah. North Koreans don't have the critical thinking ability to uh, analyze what that is, right? Uh-huh. Like for us, yeah. seeing Squid Game, we don't think that South Korea shoots up people like that. Right. And people just dies out. You know, that's what North Korea does. We just execute them without any dignity. Yeah. But even in the parasite, the funny thing is, yeah. This this guy, the father, who cannot even fold the pizza box that well. Yeah. Like, what can you do if you cannot even fold the pizza box? Well, you learn right? from YouTube. <laughs> it's exactly. But just the funny thing is, yeah. the people in North Korea are gonna get a wrong idea uh, that like the great thing about being in America, yeah. the comfort, biggest comfort that I get is I will never go starve. You'll never starve. If I, yeah, if I lose my job, if yeah. I get cancelled, whatever uh-huh. happens, you know, I can go work at a McDonald's and Starbucks. Right. And I would buy a big bag of rice. I might yeah. not buy a steak, yeah. but I will be big bag of rice, rice. And that's yeah. what all North Korean wants. Is there a, a cultural product that you would send to North Koreans, a, a book or a movie or a TV show? I would send just like a lot of live footage of American grocery stores uh, and how tra- uh-huh. especially just how much trash food waste being uh-huh. wasted here. That would be amazing, wouldn't that be? Yeah. Like, look at guys, they this, and then also show them the, how America's problem is obesity, like how 40% of Americans are dealing with eating too much. 
Yeah. And that would be a great show. Like North Koreans would know, wow, their right. problem is a complete opposite from ours. Now, North Korea has almost been existing for 80 years. What gives yeah. you hope that one day things in North Korea will change for the better? Hope. I mean, the history. It's a Rome fair, right? Like any empire, Persian empire fair, yeah. like any empire that British fair too, right? Uh -huh. It just... I mean, that's the thing, like anything is possible when you look at history. And mm. that's why I'm hopeful. And, you know, North Korea, it sounds a long time, 80 years. But when you look at the Roman Empire, like there are 500 years and they're faster. So it gives me hope at some point if we push hard enough yeah. and it's going to fall. And how have you, just the last question. So it's a bit of a philosophical mm. one. How mm. have you... Uh, being able to overcome the bad things that happen to you and and choose to be happy whatever the situation well I, i'm sure i'm complaining a lot about chicago court so i uh -huh. cannot really talk about that but i mean i haven't gone to any therapy with my trauma and because when my agent told me like you need to go therapy and i asked like how much is it and she's like oh like 250 dollars right per yeah, hour in new york city i was like in no way and it was funny, like in North Korea, when you go through seeing public execution, you still don't think that's a trauma. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you know what trauma is, like, I know that I'm in a good place. And I think that perspective really helps that, you know, I mean, for me, the biggest comfort is that I'm not going to go being starved to death. Yeah. Like, what a, what a concept that is for a North Korean, that that's actually right. a possibility. You know, you never have to worry about food. And that's how... I get so much criticism. I know how many people are judging me and it still helps me to be happy and grateful mm. despite that. I have to say, yeah. I, I, as you point out correctly, yes, therapy, mm -hmm. particularly in America, very expensive. Mm -hmm. But if you ever decide, Yonmi, that uh, mm -hmm. you, you feel like you need some therapy, my advice would be to uh, put out a, a call on YouTube asking for mm. someone who wants to give therapy to a North Korean defector for free. I'm sure you'll find somebody uh, <laughs> that there'll be, there'll definitely be somebody who uh, just, you know, for the sake of talking to somebody very different mm. will, uh, will volunteer their services uh, at, at a very reduced rate. That is a great idea. I mean, at some point I might want to do that. And, but for me, it was writing my book was like kind of therapy. Uh, it was, yeah. help, it really helped me to make a sense and it really helped me to understand what I went through. Mm -hmm. And and also, like, also helped me to understand what my truths were, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever people said, this is what all we remembered, right? Mm -hmm. and of course, when people like a million people telling you a lie, you really question, maybe am I a liar, right? You do come to that point. Mm -hmm. And you're constantly being harassed. But yeah. I have like collectively over a million followers, mm -hmm. right? And... But then it's like, I know my mom knows where I'm coming from. Yeah. My sister knows what I went through. My friends who I grew up knows what I went through, right? right. So when you hold on to what your truth is, you are never going to be confused. Mm. So I think the book was very helpful for all us all remembering what we went through and coming to peace with it, you know? Is everything in your book 100% true and accurate? Well, unless the three of us all collectively went crazy, it should be, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, like, unless maybe there could be a possibility, anything is a possibility. Three of us all misremembered, mm -hmm. but happened to be the right way, right? Mm -hmm. It could happen, but then that little detail wouldn't matter right. because 
there is a country that we see from satellite, mm-hmm. they still don't have electricity in this 21st century. Mm-hmm. What kind of country is that? <laughs> it is from that fact, it should be giving us a pause and thinking how we can help. It doesn't matter what the factors are, just looking at the photo from satellite. That's a darkness. Like that's a complete darkness. Do you plan to write a future book? Yes, actually. <laughs> are you working on it now? Yeah. Can you I give am. any kind of clue or hint or teaser? Uh, I will let you know. Okay, <laughs> it's going to be okay. announced soon. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, that is a, that's a good place for us to end today. I want to thank you once again for coming on the show, Yonmi Pak. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, to mm-hmm. our listeners, once again, don't forget to have a look at her book, In Order to Live, A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom uh, by Yonmi Park with Marianne Vollers, published by Penguin Books. You can find that at all book, uh, good booksellers. Uh, and also there is uh, Yonmi's YouTube channel, the uh, named Voice of North Korea uh, by Yonmi Park. Uh, any final thoughts to share with us, Yonmi? No, I mean, thank you so much. It's uh, been so honored. And I was actually really ner- nervous about this interview, actually. Ah. <laughs> so it's, it's good that, you know, because it's uh, when you give a lot of interviews, it's hard to get excited about sometimes. It, it's but, true. Yeah. yeah, it gave me that kind of, you know, excitement. So I really appreciate it. No, oh, I'm glad to hear that. And we were mm-hmm. both nervous. Mm-hmm. You and me both, Yanni. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jacko. I look forward to hearing more of your episode. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News subscription, don't forget to take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. Also, don't forget if you have feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please send them to podcast at nknews.org. Yonmi, you're also invited to uh, recommend any uh, guests who you think we should uh, listen to their stories. Uh, and our thanks, as always, go to Arius Dare and Brian Betts for facilitating this podcast, and to Gabby Magnuson, our new post-recording producer genius. Thanks, and listen again next time. Mm-hmm.